The uh, children are dismissed up through second grade for Children's Church, if you would like. <laughs> All right, open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, Matthew 28. We are going to be uh, working through the Great Commission today. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father, once again, we join together in prayer and ask your blessing on our time. As we have your word open before us, we pray that you would work in the hearts of your people. That as we see this great commission with its encouragement and its exhortation, I pray that we would see its application to us the implications that it has in our lives, that we would see the encouragement that is embedded in it, that Christ is with us always, even to the end of the age. So, Father, I ask that you would help us to look into your word and that you would do your work in our hearts by your Spirit, that Christ would be lifted up, that you would bless your people today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why are we here? That's the question I want us to think about in the beginning of our time today. Why are we here? And I don't mean that uh, eternal question, why do we exist? Right? That's, that's not really what I'm about today. We exist for the glory of God. We could dig more into that, but I want to ask why we are here. Nor do I mean why are we at church on a Sunday morning. We are here on a Sunday morning to worship our triune God. No, I mean to ask why are we here? Why does Parkside exist? And why does Parkside exist in Fallon? Why are we here? That's what we are going to look into today, and to do so, we will look at Jesus' final words in the Gospel of Matthew to see what He has for His people, and as we go through it, you will see that it has a direct application to us, that we don't have to reach too far to see what God would have us glean from this passage, but we want to look at this great commission and see if we can find in there an answer for why we are here. I want to look first at verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority for us to disciple our town. This passage instructs the people of God about how they are to minister, about what they are to be about, what is to be their focus. And we see, first of all, that Jesus has all authority for us to disciple this town that we live in. He says He has the authority in heaven. In other words, there's nothing above His authority. He doesn't have some kind of high authority. He's not middle management. He's not, he's not uh, someone who's pretty high ranking, but there might be uh, something senior or, or whatever. He says, no, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Jesus, uh, we read about in the Gospels, is the Son of God who took on flesh, born as one of us. It was a time of humiliation where the one who had created all things like gravity, for example, was now subject to gravity, where uh, the one who had uh, created mankind now interacted with mankind, but a sinful mankind who would sin against him. It was a time of humiliation, but now that time is over. He has been crucified, he has been buried, and he has been raised. Humiliation is over. That time of suffering is behind him. Whatever limitations he took on himself in his human body have now been removed. All heavenly authority is his. And so that would be encouraging for his disciples to hear that his, he has all authority in heaven, but he continues and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's, there's nothing below his authority, as it were. There's nothing beneath his notice. It's not as if the authority of Christ exists in some ethereal plane in the heavens that's far away and distant and has something to do with ideas in some sort of mystical, uh, hard-to-explain, amorphous kind of way. No, His authority is truly out there over all things, but it exists right here in our mortal plane as well. In this physical reality that we walk in, there is nothing beneath His authority. There is nothing beneath His notice that His authority extends right here to flesh and blood extends right here to our plane, our world. He has authority here as well. His rule holds sway. And so he says, all authority in heaven and all authority on earth has been given to me. If you think about Jesus' disciples, they had traveled around with Jesus, and I'm sure they took great comfort in traveling with Him, learning from Him, and when a conflict arose or a difficult situation, they were always going to Him and say, Jesus, uh, how do we understand this? What are you going to say? What are you going to do? Why did this person do that? Uh, they're opposing us. What do we do? They took great comfort, of course, from having Jesus there in their midst, and now He's going to ascend. He won't be with them anymore. He won't be right there physically. They won't be able to turn and say, Jesus, what did he mean by that? Likewise, when they travel around, they're, perhaps they might think, you know, if we've ministered mostly within the, the boundaries of God's people in Galilee and in, and in Judea, that's where the majority of their ministry has happened, some on the outskirts and some in Samaria, but, but for the most part, it's been a pretty contained place. What if we go outside of those boundaries, Jesus? Maybe that's where Jesus' authority holds sway. And he says, no, all authority on earth 
There is nowhere we can go and be beyond His authority. He's the Lord over there also, even in the dark places, even in the places we might be afraid to go. We shouldn't be afraid to go there because He's Lord there as well. So He has all authority in heaven. He has all authority on earth, and He has the authority over you and me, folks, to give us this command that He's going to give in the next verse to go and make disciples. He has authority to give us that instruction. He has authority over us to tell us that we ought to go and what we ought to do when we go. And, by the way, He has all authority to bring to pass the thing He told us to go and do. And so as we go with the gospel, as we go into a new situation, He has the authority to accomplish His purposes there in that situation, whether it's in a foreign country, whether it's in a, a scary place, or whether it's in a relationship that, that, that is difficult. He has the authority to work in that heart, to work in that relationship. He has all authority for us to disciple our town. And, by the way, in verse 19, we see that Jesus has commanded us to disciple our town. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And he continues. It's a command. He commands us to go. He commands us to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so we have a command here. And the main command is make disciples. That's the imperative. If you, if you are a grammar person, that's the imperative in there is, is make disciples, disciple the nations as you go. And you think about, we get the word disciple from the Bible. Of course, it's used in other places, but you and I as Christians might use the word disciple very often. But it's, it's interesting sometimes when you talk to someone who's not a Christian and you talk about discipling someone in this area and you can see they don't quite understand what you mean because it's a Christian term. It's used mostly by Christians and that's because, of course, Jesus and His disciples, those that He brought along with Him that He taught, which is what the word means. He spent three years investing in this small band of, of believers who were going to go and take this message into the world. And he did that, invested in, in these disciples, particularly the 12 apostles. He invested in them, not just so they would be the greatest disciples ever, but so they would take that message and carry that message of the gospel into the world. And of course, apart from Judas Iscariot, we read on in the rest of the New Testament and see that that's exactly what happened. That this message of the gospel entrusted to these men went into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and, and to the ends of the earth. And it was written down for us and it was defended for us and it was explained to us that the Word of God has gone forth through these and that was the result of, that was the product of discipleship as Jesus discipled these apostles. You see, Christianity is organic. It's passed from person to person. It grows naturally. It grows from our lips to someone else's ear. It grows as we pass on the gospel from person to person. And Jesus had spent his years investing in these disciples, passing on to them 
the truth of the gospel because by them he wanted that gospel to go out into the world. And Paul says a very similar thing in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, a familiar verse as well where Paul is talking to Timothy. And he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men. So Timothy received it from Paul, and there were others around. But Timothy is to take that message of the gospel and entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, there's another generation. It goes from generation to generation. It goes from person to person. That's the way the gospel travels. And so discipleship is the means that God has designed for that to happen. And so I think it's important for us to realize a very basic truth in regard to this, that what we learn as Christians is not meant just for us. It's not like I'm the end of the line. And maybe I'm an exception because I'm a preacher after all, and so I'm supposed to teach others. But, but even for you, the information, the, the growth in Christ, the knowledge of, of, of God's grace is not meant to end with you. You're not a cul-de-sac. You're not the end of the line. You're meant to pass it on to other people. And so perhaps we need to think differently about our own growing in Christ, that, that we have been grown in Christ so that we can help others to grow in Christ as well. That we would turn and minister to those around us. We are to be a discipling church that helps others grow and deepen in their knowledge and understanding of the Lord, even as we are growing and being deepened in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord. You see, it's not, it's not as if there's one person disseminating information and there are a bunch of consumers sitting out here. No, we are all receiving the information and passing it on to those around us. We are all ministering to other people. It's not just me who I, I go and study and come and talk to you. Then, then you learn and you grow and you take that to your family. You take that to the people around you. We are to be making disciples so in families, as parents, we are to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's an, a command we have from God. We are to disciple our children. So there's someone that we can minister to right away as parents. And within the church, we have older people here, some with more gray hair or just less hair, who can minister to some of the younger people that we can pass on the ways that we have grown in Christ, that they maybe can dodge some of, the, some of the problems that we've stepped into in our own lives, that we can help them, that we can, that we can encourage those who are younger than us. We can be discipling even in that way. This is discipleship right now, by the way. As the Bible is being taught, as we are learning of God's Word, we are being discipled in this very situation right now. It's not just a sideline as if uh, you and I need to meet, uh, you know, over coffee or something and, and study through a particular book, though that's a wonderful thing. And I'm open to doing that. And, and I love to sit and read God's Word with God's people. But this is discipleship as well. You're learning what the Word says. We're learning how it applies. And so we are being discipled even now. And there's another aspect of discipleship that, that we need to think about, and that is where... Christians bring the gospel to those around them who are not yet Christians. They share the gospel with that person. They see that person come to Christ. That is making a disciple. 
And then we, we invest our lives in them, teaching them what, what it means to walk with Christ, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be obedient. We are, we are discipling when we do that, whether it's the other side of the world or whether it's right here when we see people come to Christ and we help them learn to walk with Christ. That's disciple-making as well. And we are to be a discipling church. That's His command that He has here. But secondly, that involves going. You notice what he said first, go therefore and make disciples. That involves going. That involves us entering into relationship with those who don't yet know Christ or entering into relationship with those who need to grow in Christ. We have to go. And of course, he's talking here to the apostles who will go all around the world, who will uh, take the gospel to the farthest reaches, and, and there are those who do that. There are missionaries who take the gospel where the gospel's never been proclaimed before. And certainly that's going and making disciples, but that's not for most Christians. Most Christians are going to live in their hometown. Most Christians are going to come to church in their regular church on a Sunday, and we're going we're to live our lives working regular jobs and, and, and in regular relationships in regular neighborhoods. It doesn't have to be Indonesia. It doesn't have to be somewhere far away, yet we are to go. Perhaps that means going to that person who's difficult for us. Maybe it's a relationship that, that uh, we would really just avoid that person. Maybe what we need to do is go to that person with the gospel. Maybe we need to go across the hall at work. You know, you've got that coworker that sits over there that, that uh, you've kind of been thinking about at random times and you don't want to you know, you've been wondering if the Lord wants you to go share the gospel with him. You're kind of feeling, maybe you need to go. Maybe you need to, just need to go across the, across the street. Maybe you need to go across town. You don't have to go far to go and make disciples. And we are to be a going church. And we are also to be an all-nations church. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. There's no discrimination here. It's not just go and find Jews wherever you can. That wasn't the instruction that Jesus gave. It's, the gospel is for all nations. Christ is for all nations. And so we're involved in that in various ways as a church. We, we uh, send money. We send missionaries to far-flung parts around the world to bring the gospel to all nations. But, but for most of us, all nations means Fallon that we here in Fallon need the gospel, that, that our community needs to be discipled. Our community needs to see people come to Christ. You see, the, the way the book of Acts works, if you think about how the New Testament works, I think we, we tend to look at Paul, uh, maybe Peter, mostly Paul because he traveled so much, and we think, well, to go to all the nations mean to do like, means to do like Paul did, where he would come to town and he would go to the synagogue and preach till he kicked him out, and he'd find another place to preach. And he'd be there for a few weeks or maybe a few months or a couple of years, perhaps. And what he would do is plant a church there. And then he would go on. And he would do that in the next town, the next city, or the next strategic point. And he would, he would go to the synagogue and preach till they kicked him out and find another place to preach. And this was his pattern. And I think we, we have a little bit of a misconception sometimes that we think going to all the nations means being like Paul and just constantly traveling. Or perhaps just always going somewhere new. But look at what Paul did. He came to town and he preached and led people to Christ. He discipled them and planted a church. And then he left 
entrusting the evangelism and the discipleship of that community in that region to that church as he went on to the next place. And we have evidence of that when we look in the New Testament and we see uh, the letters of the, New, of the New Testament typically written to churches. So this would be a church that perhaps he planted and he hears some bad news or he hears some difficult things going on in that church and he writes back to strengthen that church that it would better do the ministry in its own community. That's going to all the nations. That's how you and I are. Now, you all know that, that our, our family were missionaries overseas for a while and so missions is very near and dear to my heart and and uh you know we we moved overseas and and have you know valued that for sure and still value that very much and still love to support our missionaries and we we, we want to continue to do that and maintain and strengthen relationship with them and all of those things but but in doing that we are not we want to be careful not to shirk our responsibility we want to be careful that we're not checking a box hey we're doing we're doing uh, discipling the nations by sending a check or sending a missionary. We have the task right here as well in our little community, and so we want to be an, uh, going to all the nations kind of church even where we are. So we see the command there. We see the instruction, go and make disciples of all nations. We want to do that. That's, that's our focus. That's the command to us. We want to be focused on those things. And thirdly, we see that Jesus has given us the means to disciple our town. He's given us the means. We continue reading in verse 19, Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The first means that He's given us is baptism. Now, He's not only talking about applying water to a believer, dunking a believer in water. That's not all He's talking about. He's certainly talking about that, and we baptize Christians here and, uh, upon their profession of faith, and, and that, that's something that we do and something that we value, but I think included in that command to baptize them is the command to lead them to Christ, to share the gospel with them. We spent our Sunday school hour this morning talking about evangelism and our hope for evangelism and the fact that we, we don't have the capacity ourselves to lead someone to Christ, to bring someone to Christ, to bring someone into the kingdom. That's not something we can accomplish, as if we could wrestle them down, as if we could put them in an arm bar and make them do what we wanted to do and come to faith in Christ. Ours is to share the gospel. Ours is to pray for those with whom we share the gospel. Pray for them that, that God would do a saving work in their hearts. And that's, a, that's an aspect of baptism because baptism, baptism is the conclusion it's the celebration of that person having come to Christ. We are to be about that evangelistic and that baptismal work. And so he says this is the first means that we are to disciple the nations is by baptizing. And so just a simple uh, point of application at, at, at this point. If you are a believer in Christ and you've not been baptized... You need to be baptized. And so come talk to me about that or come talk to Pastor Stephen and we will talk to you and get that taken care of. The first means that he gives is baptism and the second means that he gives, he continues on, is teaching. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them 
In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the name of our triune God. Notice it's one name, three persons. You see, you see Trinitarian doctrine right there in that command. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The second means that we have of accomplishing this discipleship with our community is teaching, instructing people in Christ. This is our second focus. Our first focus was on baptism, on, 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 on believers coming to faith in Christ, being baptized. And the second focus is on discipling the nations in, by means of teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded us. And so, in light of that command, it shouldn't surprise any of us that our, our focus here at Parkside and the focus of the church throughout history has, has largely been on the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. And where it has gotten off of focused on preaching and teaching God's Word, you see massive error creep into the church. This is something that we focus on here at Parkside. This is something historically that the church has focused on or suffered the consequences where it has not. And so, Jesus was with His disciples for three years, and He says here, we are to teach, uh, teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded us, or the disciples are to teach us, the world, the nations, all that Jesus commanded them. When you read Jesus' teaching, you read the teachings of the Gospels, and and read through and see that Jesus taught, it wasn't always and only what to do. He didn't always and only say, okay, here's how you are to behave. He often did that, but He didn't only do that. In teaching them how they were to behave and teaching them and teaching us the things that we ought to do, He does so by means of instructing us about what is true Jesus himself spent a lot of his ministry clarifying misunderstandings about himself. He spent a lot of his ministry clarifying misunderstandings about the gospel, the nature of eternal life. How, how is it that we have it? What does it mean? He taught about what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus, Jesus taught. He didn't only teach them and tell them what they were to do, but he taught them these things. He talked about the end times. He taught about far more things than just what to do, how we ought to behave as Christians. So what does that mean then for our verse when he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you? You see, sometimes the church will get focused on, and throughout history you can see aspects of this, where the church will get focused on one aspect or the other. Either the teachings of Christ, meaning the truths and the doctrines, or the practice, meaning the ethics and the morality. And they will kind of, throughout history, you can kind of see this happen. And where, where there is an emphasis on the truth of God's Word, the truths that are to be believed, but there's no application of it, you end up with a dead orthodoxy. You end up with great doctrine and no life practice. There, there, there's, there's little evangelism. There's, there's uh, uh, lifestyles permitted that are that are clearly sinful and whatnot because, because sometimes the church gets focused on just what is good doctrine and we need to understand this right thing and, and, and yeah, we'll get to living later. <laughs> we kind of focus on this. You end up with a dead orthodoxy. But there are times when the opposite extreme has happened as well 
And I think you can see this kind of tendency perhaps in your own life. On the other end of the extreme, you end up with those who, who look askance at the doctrine, particularly the dead orthodoxy, and they say, well, I, I, don't, I don't want to be dead and orthodox. I want to be alive. And so what did Jesus say we ought to do? How are we to live our lives? What, what ought we to pursue? And, and don't worry about that doctrine stuff. Don't worry about that teaching stuff. Well, what happens when you end up down this road is usually you end up in some type of liberalism where the practice may be right or it may look right and you're, you're loving the poor and you see this in the beginning of the 20th century with the social gospel where the poor were being taken care of in these, in these, uh, in these churches and, and they were looking after you know, loving one another as, as they defined it. But doctrine, you know, deity of Christ, eh, not, not really relevant. Um, authority of Scripture, who really cares? We're after this and live your Christian life this way. So you see you end up like a, a moralist or a liberal in this camp, and you end up dead in orthodox in this camp when you, when you focus on one over the other or you ignore one over the other. And Jesus, when you look at his teaching, and you look at his teaching as it's, uh, as it's carried on by the apostles in the New Testament as they taught, Paul, for example, would teach doctrine and immediately switch to therefore. What does it matter? And he would switch over here and start talking about, so therefore we obey in this way, we stop doing this thing, we repent of that sin, obedience to this looks like this, so that both are maintained, because both are important. Jesus says we are to uh, teach them to observe all that he has commanded us. That includes doctrine, that includes truths, and it includes the very practical application in our lives of what that looks like. This is the means that God has given us, that Jesus has given us in discipling our community. The first is is bringing people to Christ, seeing them baptized, beginning in the Christian life, and then investing in teaching that they would understand what is true about God and how we ought to live in light of that. And then he concludes, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has given us his presence to disciple our town. Now you think about these disciples who had traveled so much with Jesus. They had been with him uh, for three years and they had seen all manner of miracles. They had seen him teach. They had seen him be confronted. They had seen him suffer. They had seen him do all kinds of things and always they had him to lean on. And now he's leaving. And how, how would they feel? I remember decades ago when I, was a, when I was so short, my grandfather had to fashion a special saddle for me to be able to ride a horse. That was how short I was. It was stirrups made out of rope and everything else. And we were, we were uh, working cattle. I was working cattle with him. And we were in Texas, and it's kind of rolling hills, and there were trees and places and streams and things like that. And, and I remember there was a rainstorm coming, and my grandfather was telling me, Okay, there are cattle down there, or there may be. You need to go down and check, cross over there, go over there, make sure there's nothing there, and then go do this. And he gave me a list of instructions. And I was doing my level best as a, you know, seven-year-old or however old I was, trying to remember all of that and be, you know, clear about, about, about what he wanted me to do. And then he left because he had other things to do. And immediately I was left thinking all the instructions got all jumbled. 
He pointed that way. I probably should go that way. <laughs> That's about all I remembered, right? He, when he left, I was lost. All the stuff that he said, that he, he was trying to communicate, make sure that I understood, I didn't get it. And so I kind of, you know, left and went over there and rode around for a while, and, and then he came and found me, and, and we finished doing what needed to be done. But I wonder if that's how the disciples kind of felt. You know, like they're trying to catch every last word, and, 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 and they know he's going away, and, and then he eventually does go away, and they're thinking, oh, no. <laughs> all the instructions got all jumbled around. All the things that he had been uh, teaching has been confused in their minds. I wonder if that's how they felt. I don't know that that's how they felt. I imagine so. One of the reasons I imagine so is because of the encouragement found in these words. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus himself, who is God the Son, who took on flesh, born as one of us, on a mission to redeem sinful humans like you and me, who had, who had lived on this earth for the course of 33 years and, and yet was very different. All the people around him disobedient. All the people around him sinning. And, and he was righteous. Always obedient to God's law. Always obedient to God. From the very heart, obedient. And then his disciples had not long ago seen him be arrested and be taken to the cross, the place of execution for sins that he didn't commit ultimately for sins that I committed, sins that they committed, sins that you committed. And so he went to that place of punishment to, to bear God's punishment, God's wrath for sin, for my sin, in himself. He took that upon himself. Jesus, the, the, the Son of God, bearing in his body on the tree the, the marks for my sin. Righteous Jesus, and he's put to death. God raises him from the dead, and here he is talking with his disciples. This Son of God who had given himself to redeem all of those who will put their faith in him, regardless of how bad we've been, regardless of what our track record looks like, regardless of what our history looks like, regardless of the, the, the dark stains that, that, that make up our lives that we try vainly to cover up, regardless of how bad all of that is, if we will but look to Christ... We will find that our sins are forgiven, having been paid for in Him, and we'll have life in Him. We'll have righteousness before God in His very life. Jesus, who had accomplished all of that, is now leaving. And I wonder what His disciples thought and the encouragement they must have heard when He said, I am with you always. They had come to understand more and more what He was really like, what was truly uh, who, who it was standing before them. And for him to say, and I am with you, and I am staying with you. Yes, I'm going away, but I will be with you always. What encouragement to have God the Son with us always. I am with you always. Not a moment without him. Not, not ever a moment like, like when my grandfather rode off that way and I was left to fend for myself in my ignorance. He's always with us. We may feel ignorant, and, and often we are. And we may feel like we've been left to ourselves. Often we feel like that. But we are not alone if we are in Christ. 
The Spirit of God dwells within us, within every believer. Christ Himself is present by His Spirit within us wherever we go. There's never a moment without Him. He is always with us. And He says, there's, there's never a moment in history without Him. He says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To the end of the age. I think sometimes when we read about New Testament Christians, particularly these standing right here, those who saw Jesus, those who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. I've said this before, that for them, the, the, the resurrection wasn't a matter of faith. It was a matter of memory. They saw it. They saw Him dead, and they saw Him alive. They witnessed it, and, and, and there were the apostles in their midst, and, 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 and the apostles were doing all these miracles and these wonderful things that God was accomplishing, and surely Jesus was with them, it's clear when you see how the church grows and all the things that are accomplished in the book of Acts, for example. But that was a long time ago. And those were different people. Those were different times. That was a different land. I mean, maybe, maybe God was powerfully at work and Jesus was powerfully present with his people back then. But now? I mean, my life? Our lives? Our life as a church? Jesus said, I am with you always, moment by moment, and to the end of the age. So folks, when we read about the great works of God in the New Testament, when we hear about the wonderful evangelization that was happening in the beginning of the church in the early centuries and all that stuff, and now we think, oh, but that's so different than us. God was doing special things. Jesus was powerfully present with his people. But now, I mean, we're just kind of, you know, getting along, right? Trying to just survive day after day. And Jesus says, no, I am with you to the end of the age. He is with us, Christian. He is with us, Parkside Bible Fellowship, to the end of the age present with his people, powerfully to work. We often don't see it, but even more often we don't believe it. But it's true. That includes now. Ministry may seem like an impossible undertaking or like a less than ideal way to build God's kingdom that he would send sinners like you and me into the world to disciple the nations. But it's the way Jesus gave. And he is right here in our midst, in our little town, right now, in our day and age, to accomplish his work in this world by all the authority that he has in heaven and on earth. That ought to change the way we look at the ministry that he's given us. So a couple of points of application and then We'll move on to the Lord's Supper. First application is simple, is brief. <laughs> go and make disciples. Jesus commands us to go and disciple all nations. What, what can we possibly have going in our lives that would take precedence over that? Over the command, this great commission that Jesus has given his people. What, what, could, what could take precedence over that in our minds? 
We must be involved in going and discipling the nations in our own community in the ways that we've talked about in our, in our families, in our relationships, in, in our places of work, in our little community, in our church. And so how can you be involved in that? You don't have to sign up and go on missions. Probably most people shouldn't actually do that. Someone needs to pay for the mission trip for one thing. <laughs> when missionaries go overseas, they're dependent upon Christians like you and me who are here and who are supporting them as they go. How can we get involved? I'm just a regular Christian with a regular job and a regular life. Well, first of all, disciple those children. Second of all, how about ministering to your neighbors? How about discipling someone around you and how to walk with Christ? Finding a younger person or a younger person in Christ who needs some help and coming alongside them and discipling that person. You, you never know. We were talking in our Sunday school class today about you don't quite know who it is you're sharing with. And, and, and I was thinking about the man who led me to Christ and how he was led to Christ. And, and, and those who led him to Christ weren't thinking that he would, they were just thinking about his own salvation. They, they didn't understand the impact that he would have. And you don't know when you're discipling someone the impact that that person is going to have. Or how about giving generously to missions? How about committing to pray for our missionaries as they go? We talk about our missionaries every week. We bring them up. Uh, we, we want to uh, pray for them and be involved, and we can all be involved in that. These are ways that we can disciple. Above all, don't be, don't be the end of the line for what you learn and the ways you grow in Christ. It's not enough for you to have received. Take it and minister that to someone else. Don't be a consumer. Don't be someone who, who is consuming and taking for yourself and, 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 and growing and thinking, this is great, I'm growing, without also passing that on to someone else. So minister to those coming up as well. And finally, take courage and be bold. When you share the gospel, when you go out to minister and your knees are shaking a little bit and you've got a little quaver in your voice and, and you're not quite sure how it's going to go, our Lord Jesus Christ is with you as you do that. Powerfully to work. He who has all authority in heaven and on earth, by His Spirit, wants to minister through you in that context. So be faithful just to open your mouth. Be faithful to enter into that conversation. Be faithful and trust Him. So take courage and be bold. The great commission that Jesus gave His disciples has real significance for us in our church in this day and in this age. God has called us, this group of Christians, this church right here to this town at this time to labor for the gospel. That's what He has called us to do. He has the authority to command us to do it, and He has the authority to see it through to completion to make it fruitful. He's given us the blueprint of the, the means to accomplish our work by leading new people to Christ, by baptizing them, by teaching them to hold to God's Word and observing all that Christ taught us. And He's given us His own presence 
along the way for all time as strength and hope and security and empowering and comfort and joy and peace and rest as we go about this work. And so may the Lord spur us to obey His great commission in this little community and give us His blessing as we, as we do these things. This is why we are here. This is what He has called us to do. And one of the things that He commanded us to do and that we will do now is celebrate the Lord's Supper. So if the men who are serving would come forward, please. This that we are about to observe is a celebration of what Christ has done for us in giving us His own body. And so, if you don't know Christ, I would encourage you just to let these elements pass by and come talk to me after the service or talk to one of these men up here. They didn't know that's what they were signing up for. But come and talk to these men about Christ and ask them questions about how you can know Jesus, how you can be saved. So if you don't, if you don't know Christ, let these elements pass and, and think about the things that we're saying. And Christian, as these elements are being passed, this is an opportunity for us where we get to ponder, first of all, our need for Christ, our need for Jesus and His righteousness and the sacrifice that He's made in giving Himself to pay the penalty for our sins. Think about your own need. So you pray and ask the Lord to help you see the sin in your life. And when the Lord does that, because He will, confess it. Ask Him for forgiveness. Turn from it. And what you will find is that, secondly, you will see the satisfaction that Christ has made for your sin. You will have forgiveness and you will realize again and in new ways and more powerful ways how wonderful it is that we have Jesus, our Savior, who paid the penalty for our sins, that we have right standing before Him because of what He's done. And we will give Him all the more thanks and all the more glory as we partake of these elements. So first we come to the bread. If we would take up the bread, please. Listen to these words of Paul's from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Let's pray. Father, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we come to the bread, the body of Christ which He gave for us, in which He had lived obediently for His whole life, and in which He went to the cross and gave it up that it be broken to pay the penalty for my sins, for the sins of all those who will put their faith in Him. And as we break this bread, we are grateful to Jesus, our Savior, that He gave Himself 
to redeem us from all our sins. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Next, we take up the cup. Paul continues in 1 Corinthians 11. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the cup, we are reminded of these words of Jesus. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Father, we rejoice in Jesus, our Savior, in this new covenant that he has included us into, that he would undertake himself to be the one to 
obey all of your commands and pay the penalty for the failure, uh, our failure to obey those commands and then give us the credit for that. Giving us new hearts, giving us a desire to walk with you, hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone to respond to you, to love you where we did not before. This is the work of our Savior on our behalf. This is, this is the new covenant in His blood, and we rejoice in it. And Father, even now as we are contemplating our own sin and its guilt and Jesus' payment, we rejoice that before You, by faith in Christ, because of what Christ has accomplished, we, we stand with His righteousness credited to us. We stand as Your children before our loving Father. So we rejoice, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul concludes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, Christian, I would remind you now something that uh, you forget, and I forget all too often, that because of what we just celebrated, Christ himself, because of what he has accomplished in his life and death and resurrection, your sins are forgiven. Amen. Men, you can be seated, please. I would remind you as we conclude our time today that this is the Sunday of the month where we take our benevolence offering, and so you can, you can uh, mark your offering uh, if you want it to go to benevolence uh, in, the, in the box in the back or in the tray that's in the foyer there. Um, I would also encourage you, there'll be a family come up front to pray with you, but they will have competition this week because since it's Brianna's last day, I've asked her to, to uh, come and stand up front here and uh, not on the stage, but down there if you want to come say goodbye to her because uh, she's leaving and uh, she's ministered here faithfully for years. And Anyway, if you want to come say goodbye, give her a hug, uh, this would be your opportunity. And uh, as well, I will be down front to um, talk to anyone who wants to come and uh, ask questions or concerns or, uh, or even learn what it means to be a Christian. So uh, thank you for celebrating with us today. Let me close in prayer and then you will be dismissed. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus, our Savior. And we are so humbled that he would even include us in the building of his church by sending us weak and frail and faulty though we are to make disciples in all nations and baptize and teach them as we go about our lives. We are humbled and we are grateful. We are so grateful for Jesus, our Savior, and we pray in his name. Amen. God bless you all, and you're dismissed.